The Bible says, and I want you to watch for life and death, life and death, life and death. It's a recurring theme. It's not, it's not what we saw a, a time or two ago, buying, selling, planting, marrying, giving in marriage. Those are big things, but they're not as big as life and death. And the Lord, the Lord makes our choices, our moment-by-moment choices and actions, He makes every one of them a matter of life and death. You know, Christianity, it, 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 it's life on such a higher plane. It just, in this world, everything's not important. But to God, to the Christian, everything's important. Suddenly, your entire life becomes life. And, and, and all the, the seemingly little things become huge. Let's look at it. The Bible says, Romans 6, 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know you not that so many of us that were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, this this is quite a summary. We are, we're not to reckon ourselves crucified with Christ. We are crucified with Christ. We are not to reckon ourselves planted, buried with Him, and and raised up to a new life. That's not reckoning. That's fact. That has happened if you are saved. You, You are crucified with Christ. You are buried with Christ. You are risen with Christ. That is an absolute fact. The reckoning comes in when it's up to me and up to you to decide whether or not we are going to live accordingly or whether we're going to live as though those things never really took place. God is so good. God is so gracious. God is so merciful. God is so forgiving. Let's just sin and count on God to forgive it. Why would anyone live that way? When the Lord has given you a brand new life, set free from all, not, not just from sin, but from all the consequence and all the result that, that grows out of living a life of sin. And so what he says here in verse number 6, Our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin, look, might be destroyed. Now look, it's not. I've still got a body of sin that can destroy me. But living inside that body of sin is a me who has a brand new resurrection life through Jesus Christ. Now what am I going to do? Am I going to keep serving this destructive flesh? Or am I going to, to ignore that destructive flesh and live unto the one who gave me this brand new life? Now that question confronts us, or should confront us, all through every day of our lives. 
amusement and, and, and pressures and duties and cares and buying and selling and planting and marrying and giving and marriage, all those things. What they do is they so occupy our thoughts that we don't think this way. The Bible is telling us we are to take reckoning. We are to be thinking about this matter of life and death through all the other situations and circumstances and choices that we make in a given day. All right, verse 8. Now, now, right now, if we be dead with Christ. Well, what's the Bible say? Are you saved tonight? Okay, then are you dead with Christ? Okay, if we be dead with Christ... We believe that we shall also live with Him. Now here's what we do. Here's where our reckoning is faulty. We do believe we're dead with Christ, and we do believe we shall live with Him after this life is over. And we push the results of our salvation, and we push the benefits of our salvation out into a time beyond time, and we fail to benefit from it now as God intends us to benefit from it right now. Jesus didn't die and was buried and rise again and save our souls so we could go to heaven, though if we're saved, that's where we'll go. He died and was buried and rose again and gave us new life so we could live new life now. We don't think that way, but we need to think that way. Verse 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Do we know that? Come on, it, it, four of you, five of you, come on. Do we, do we know that? All right, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth unto God. Now look, you see what he does? The wages of sin is death. We'll get to that. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. By one man's sin, death entered the world. And, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men. So what we do is we look at death and life, death and resurrection, and then we put sin over here like it's a separate issue. Sin and death are hand in glove. Sin and death are brother and sister, if you will. Sin and death are, are inseparable. Christ knew no sin. He couldn't die. He took our sin upon Him and He died. Okay, look, sin and death, they, they go together. So, what in, in our minds, okay, I'm, I'm dead with Christ, I'm buried with Christ, I'm risen with Christ, but I still got all this sin that I'm interested in. It's, it's not compatible... Resurrection, life, and sin don't go together. Sin and death go together. Sin and resurrection, life don't go together. So what gets us all messed up in our thinking and messed up in our living and messed up in our families and messed up in our church life is we're trying to live life with sin when sin and life don't go together. Sin and death go together. Life and Christ go together. And we're trying to live this Christian life while saying, well, God loves me and God is gracious and if I sin, God will forgive it. All that may be true, but what a way to live. You're living with a ball and chain around your leg that doesn't have to be there. And so, so look what he says, verse number 11. Likewise... 
Reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. Look, he didn't say reckon yourself to be dead. You have died with Christ. You don't have to reckon that we're crucified with Christ. You don't have to reckon that we're planted with Him. You don't have to reckon that we're buried with Him. There's no reckoning to that. If you are saved, you are dead with Christ. What you have to reckon is that makes me dead to sin. That's where the reckoning comes in. Here's a chance to sin. Christ didn't die so I could keep sinning. Here's an opportunity to break God's commands. Christ didn't die so I could break one of God's commands. I died to be free from sin. And when I use my salvation as an excuse for or a justification for sin, but just with a little different outcome, I am not thinking biblically. I am not thinking victoriously. Now look what he said. Likewise, reckon yourselves to be dead, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now again, I don't have to reckon myself alive. I am alive. I don't have to reckon myself raised from the dead. I am raised from the dead. I don't have to reckon myself in newness of life. I have new life in Christ. What do I have to reckon? That I'm supposed to live unto God, not unto sin. See, there's, well, I gotta, I gotta remember I'm alive. No, you don't have to remember you're alive. You're alive. What you have to remember is why you're alive. I wasn't saved to do that. I was saved to do this. I wasn't saved to keep sinning. I was saved to serve the Lord. And what happens is, now again, look, this is what we do. I'm lost. I'm on my way to hell. I hear the gospel. Jesus can save me and take me to heaven. So I call on Jesus and he saves me. And the man that led me to the Lord says, now remember, no matter what happens, you're going to heaven. And he's gone. And I'm in church. And I just keep hearing over and over again, get saved so you can go to heaven. Get saved so you can go to heaven. Yeah, but between now and the time I go to heaven, i got to go home. And I've got to go to work. And I've got to go to school. And I've got to go to the family reunion. And I've got to go to church. What happens between the time I get saved and the time I go to heaven? I've got to learn to live unto God, not unto sin. And how does the Lord tell me to do that? The first way is to think about it. I mean, it's an old southern term, but it was a Bible term first. Well, I reckon. What did you reckon today? Did you reckon you were hungry? Did you reckon the car needed gas? Did you reckon the gas cost too much? Did you reckon that you are alive unto God? Did that ever cross your mind? Did you ever think about that? That I'm here at work to serve God. That I'm here at school to serve God. That I'm in this living room or this bedroom or this kitchen to serve God. And the reason we don't do it is we don't think about it. And this channel's there, and that channel's there, and this show's there, and this program's there, and this appointment is there, and this duty is there, and they're all designed 
To do what? Just keep us so busy we don't even know the ark's loading. Just keep us so busy we don't even know it's time to get out of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not that we're doing anything wrong. We're just not reckoning ourselves alive unto God. And so that's the first thing the Lord tells us to do. Verse number 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Now here's the complete reversal that happens the moment you're saved and given this brand new life. You have passed from a person who is subject to the power of sin to becoming a person who has absolute power over sin. Well, I just couldn't help it. If you're saved, that's a lie. Well, there wasn't anything I could do about it. You know, I've just got this habit. I've got this addiction. I've done this all my life. It's just my personality. You just don't know how I was raised. All excuses that fly in the face of the Word of God. It's wrong thinking. It's not biblical thinking. Read the verse. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. You are said to have power over sin. And you're expected, I'm expected, we are expected to exercise that power. If sin takes hold, if sin takes control, I let it. You let it. You weren't overcome, I wasn't overcome, we weren't overpowered, it was permission granted. Why? Because we reckoned ourselves still living under sin instead of reckoning ourselves living under God. Fair enough? I could, you could as a saved person, I could commit every sin, any sin I ever committed. Or I could say, you know what, I'm not doing that anymore. Jesus didn't save me to do that. And so I'm not going to do it. Oh, wouldn't you like to? If I thought about it, if I dwelt upon it, if I meditated on it, I would probably admit there's some pleasure in that sin for a season. At least there used to be. But I'm not going there because I am saved. Now, you know what the average Christian America does with the encouragement of their pastor? Well, just go ahead and do it. God loves you. He's going to forgive you. And you know, we all sin a little bit. Stop with all that. I don't need death talking. I don't need encouragement to go where I was. Well, don't you think it was once saved? And Yeah, look, let's, let's go with the Bible. Why settle? For wallowing in the mire and trusting God will pressure wash you in the rapture when you could live free of the pig pen. 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. You see who's in control? It's not sin. It's not sin in your eyes, it's not sin in your ears, it's not sin in your feet, it's not sin in your tongue, it's not sin in your hands. It's what you give your hands to handle. It's what you give your eyes to look at. It's what you give your ears to listen to. That's what the Bible says. Well, you know, this world is an awful place. It was an awful place before you got here. Be an awful place when you're gone. He didn't say anything here about the world. He said, I want to know what you are going to do with the members, the members of your body. There, it's up to you. That's what he said. 
But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Look, here it is again. Unto God, unto God, unto God, or unto sin. What am I going to do? It's up to me. I am angry. What are you going to do? Give it to sin or give it to God? My feelings are hurt. What are you going to do? Give it to sin or give it to God? Well, I wasn't treated properly. What are you going to do? Give it to sin or give it to God? It's up to you. It's not in the power of your spouse, your children, your parents, your neighbors to make you sin. It's an excuse. Well, after what he said to me, are you risen from the dead or not? Well, if you, you just don't know how he treated me, I probably don't. But you don't know how she treated me or they treated me or, or, or I treated you. Never, look, he's not talking about any of that. He said, I gave you new resurrection life in Christ. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to take it and yield it to the same old attitudes and the same old responses and the same old approach to life that always messed everything up? Are you going to take your members and yield them unto God? Can you think? Why don't you give those thoughts to God? Do you have emotions? Why don't you give those emotions to God? You got feelings? Give them to God. That's what he said. All right. Still in the Bible. 14. 4. Sin shall not have dominion over you. That sounds pretty emphatic, doesn't it? It, it? it almost sounds like Jesus rose from the dead and said, All power in heaven and earth is given unto me. Oh, wait, he did say that. It almost sounded like he triumphed over principalities and powers when he rose from the dead. It's, oh, wait, he did. Do you see what he said? If sin dominates any area of our lives for any period of time, it's because we granted it. It's not because sin took control by its power. Sin shall not have dominion over you for... Well, aren't we under... Yeah. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. Grace has power law doesn't have. Grace is greater than all our sin. There is no song. Listen, there's no song about the synagogue. Law, law, wonderful law. Law that can pardon and cleanse within. There's not a hymn, law greater than all our sin. Because it's not. But grace, listen, people so pervert the grace of God. They use the grace of God as an alibi to surrender their lives to the sin that Jesus died to set them free from. When the grace of God is available to deliver us from sinning. That's what it says. We'll see it in chapter 7 even more clearly. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Well, the megachurch says yes. The modern liberal minister says, yes. The ever popular multi-millionaire radio and TV preacher says, yes. But the Bible says, God, remember him? God forbid. God forbids using his grace as an excuse for sinning. Okay, now let, let me just 
Oh no, we got we got eighty-seven verses to get through, and and we're only on number fifteen. But I, I've got to just step over here just for a second. Try if you're having trouble with this, if you don't like this, don't think about your sin. Think about the sins of your family members. Think about the sins of your coworkers. Think about the sins of people you go to church with. See, my sin doesn't really hurt me, so I don't really want to stop doing it, but I wish they'd stop sinning. Okay, now, once you think of that, I want you to turn it around and realize that that's what everybody that knows you is thinking about you. And we all say that my sin doesn't hurt anybody, but if people are honest with us, they would tell us that it does. Sin hurts somebody. And so we ought to stop excusing it and, and live above it as God has made possible. All right, 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey. You see who's in control here? It's not sin, it's you. Now, if you're not saved, you have no control. You're going to drink, you're going to smoke, you're going to cuss, you're going to chew, you're going to chase women, you're going to dance, you're going to swear, you're going to, all that. You're just, you're just going to do whatever the crowd says to do because you're just, you are following the course of this world. You're a leaf in a river, you got no chance. But if you're saved, what the Bible says, <laughs> I raised you from the dead, I set your feet on a solid rock, I put the Holy Ghost of God inside you. No excuse. Know ye not to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey his servants, ye are whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness? Now look, you're saved. See that? You're saved. You obey, what happens? Right things. You sin, what happens? Something dies. He's writing this to save people. So he can't be talking about heaven or hell at the end of your life. He's talking about a marriage of death or a marriage that's right. He's talking about a family of death or a family that's right. He's talking about a church circle that, of death or a church circle that's right. He's talking about a, a mind and a heart and, a, and, a, and an attitude. and a, It can be right or it can be death depending on whom you give control over your moment-by-moment moment decision-making and actions. So the Bible says, 17, but God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Now thank God there is that form of doctrine. And thank God there are those who deliver it to us. And all that's great, but unprofitable if we don't obey it. See what it says? Thank God there is sound doctrine. Thank God we've heard sound doctrine. And thank God we've obeyed sound doctrine so it could work its righteousness in our lives. Well, see, it's God be thanked until well, you mean I have to obey it? Well, you're going to obey somebody. You're going to obey something. If, and and this, this, notice how many options he gave. God or sin. There's no C. There's no D. There's no choice E. There's no all of the above. God or sin. Well, I kind of like, I'd like kind of some, you know, 40% God and 40% sin and 20% just however it turns out. You're not given that option. 
You have resurrection life from the Lord. You're saved. What are you going to do Friday morning from 7 to 8 a.m.? God, sin. Pretty simple. Pretty simple. People don't want it that simple, but I do. I like, I like the simplicity of it. Verse 18, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. Automatic, when you got saved. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as you've yielded your members servants to uncleanness and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now, being made free from sin and become servants to God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death. That might have saved or lost. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, uh, first of all, I don't know if you're saved or if you're not. I don't know. I know that about myself. I don't know that about, about anybody else. I'm, 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 I'm 98.5% sure my wife is saved. But, you, I mean, you can't ever really know about anybody but yourself. So, so I, I'm sure I'm saved. I'm, I'm almost absolutely sure she's saved. Everybody else will find out in a rapture. I, I don't know. But, but here, here's, here, here's, here's a pretty good test as to whether or not you're going to live for the Lord or not live for the Lord. It's not that he paid for your sins. It's not that he died so you don't have to go to hell because of the sins. It's not even that he set you free from the sins. What I want to know is, are you ashamed of them? Because if you're not ashamed of them, it means you've still got a fondness for what would have taken you to hell. It means you've still got a little bit of love and a little bit of loyalty for the things that caused Christ to bleed and die on the cross. And how you, how you put on the same page, my favorite book is the Bible. And my favorite movie is murder. It's just weird. It's just weird. Likes, Bible Baptist Church, and naked beach parties. It's weird. There, there's, there ought to be a shame. A shame. For what we did that was not Christian. Well, I know Christians. Look, we all know people who say they're saved and do all kinds of stuff. We're talking about the Bible here. The Bible's pretty clear on what God approves of and what God doesn't approve of. And the things God doesn't approve of, saved people are supposed to be ashamed that they ever did it. Much less trying to justify doing it now. So that's, that's an issue. But what he says here is, and, and maybe you didn't understand when you got saved. I didn't understand when I got saved. Maybe you didn't understand. He wasn't just forgiving your sins so you could go to heaven. He was buying you. You became the purchased possession of Jesus Christ. You belong to him. Now that's okay if you want to belong to him. But if you just wanted him to forgive you and then come get you when you died. And you didn't want him sticking his nose in your business between the time he forgave you and the time you died. It's going to be a problem. 
You're not going to like his church. You're not going to like his people. You're not going to like his rules. You're not going to like his preachers. You're not going to like what he says about the home or the family and the rest of it. It's just going to bug the daylights out of you. You can, I'm a slave. He made, he made me a slave. And, yeah, but you were a slave. It's just the one master was forced to sell you to the other master. I just want to be free. You can't be. You'll never be free. Well, I'm going to run away from home. And he, yeah. Yeah, you'll be free. A real freedom out there. Freedom to be unemployed, freedom to be employed, <laughs> freedom to take a drug test, freedom to fail a drug test. <laughs> yeah, it's all kind, there's all kind of freedom out there. All kind of freedom. Well, I'll just quit, walk away from it anytime I want to. Yeah, yeah. Tell the supplier that you're not going to deal drugs anymore. Just tell him you're done. Just, you know, I quit. I just don't want to do this anymore. Let me know how that works out. Uh, You are made, look, 22, free from sin. And, see, and become servants to God. You you don't get one and not the other. The Lord didn't take possession of you without freeing you from sin, praise the Lord. But He doesn't free you from sin without taking possession of you. Now, now, here's, here's the problem. 21, what fruit had you then in those things? Wherever you're now ashamed. So here's how it goes. Before you tell me about your husband or your wife, God wrote the Bible. Everybody believe the Word of God? So God, when He wrote the Bible, assumed that every man needed to be told how to do it right. Which means none of them did. None of them knew how to do it right. Why would God say, husbands, love your wives, be not bitter against them, provide for your own household? Why would he say that if anybody knew how to do it? You know what's in the Bible? Because every man that gets married is like yours. Some of them obey the Bible and some of them don't. The problem is not your husband's, the problem is disobedience to the Bible. Because they all need instruction and those that take it find life and righteousness and those that don't take it find death and trouble. Well, my wife, every wife had to be told in the Bible to love her husband, right? Wives, you know that word. You know why it's in there? Because everybody has to be told. So there are women who didn't know how to be a good wife, but they obeyed the Bible and found life. And there are women who didn't know how to be a good wife and they kept trying to do it mom's way or grandma's way or the world's way and they kept finding death. It's not who you're married to. It's whether or not you know what the Bible says. Well, you know, my parents, your parents go by the Bible. They're great. They'd be great parents as long as you want to go by the Bible. If you want to, don't want to go by the Bible, it's, it's, it's a mess. Listen, the problem this world is not... This race, that race, this economic system, that economic system. Problem is, people keep trying to live contrary to the Word of God and keep finding death and can't figure out why everything they touch dies. And people live by the Bible and do right. As a matter of everything looks great from here. Seven one. 
All right, now this is going to get real, real tense, so just hang in there. I, I, just, I didn't write any of this. None of this was my idea. So just take a deep breath, count to ten slowly, and see if we can get through this. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. Okay? Everybody all clear on that? For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, you're not supposed to pray about that. She is, she is loosed, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she should be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. Okay, let's, let's, let's move quickly away from what's got you so nervous and get into why God wrote it here. There were some people who lived under the law, Saul of Tarsus, Gamaliel, who quite enjoyed it. They made it work. And there were some people who lived under the law who found it a terrible burden and a heavy yoke and couldn't and just couldn't wait to get out from under it. But nevertheless, Born a Jew under the law, died a Jew under the law until Jesus Christ came and shed his blood. That's all you got. There's no other option. Okay? Now, what do you say? If you're unsaved, you are bound to try and do right by keeping rules and regulations that don't suit you. You are trying to have a relationship with a law to which you are not compatible in any way. But you can't get out from under it. Then Jesus Christ came and you died. End of relationship. He raised you up from the dead. You can have a new relationship now. And guess what? While you were sleeping, Christ married you. It's kind of strange, but just he does things like that sometimes. You were buried, married to the law, and you rose again, the bride of Christ. Now, you know what that means? You have no further relationship to the law of sin and death. You have a legal, permissible, and wonderful new relationship to Jesus Christ. What a blessing. Now, how weird would it be? I don't, listen, I know, I know we've got widows here and widowers, and I don't, I don't mean to, I just, it just, but it's got to be said. How weird would it be for you to keep the corpse in the living room and make it breakfast? How weird would you be to change the clothes of the corpse every day and, and, I mean, it'd just be, they'd make a movie about it. <laughs> they did make a movie about it, but we don't need to go there. Um, It'd be weird. And it would be completely unprofitable. And people keep trying to have a relationship with sin. And it's over. There can't be any profit in an attempt to live in a relationship with the old life and with sin. Because it's God terminated it. The only relationship you can have now that you're saved is with Jesus Christ. 
And you're not unhappy because of what somebody said or somebody did or, or the money you're making or the neighborhood you live in or, or a health condition. We're not, we're not just, just counting any of those things. But life is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if all you got is buying and selling and planting and marrying and giving in marriage, you, you're missing out on the life that's available through Jesus Christ. Okay, we've we got to hurry, we've got to hurry. For when we were in the flesh, see, we're not anymore. The motions of sin which by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death, but now we are delivered. From the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and on the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet, but sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law sin was dead, for I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died in the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. We know the law is sinful, but I am carnal, sold unto sin. Okay, look, here's what he said. The reason you and the law had such a horrible marriage is not because the law was bad, it's because you were bad. The reason I couldn't enjoy life under the law is not because the law was was unjust and unfair, it's because I was unjust and unfair. The fault was not in the law, the fault was in me. See that? So what did the Lord do? He ended forever that union between me and the law. And he brought me into a union with me and himself. The law couldn't put within me a Holy Spirit. The law couldn't produce within me the fruit of that Spirit. So he he cut me off from that law. And he joined me to himself and he put his Holy Spirit in me. To produce the fruit of His Holy Spirit in me. And I could have love if I wanted it. And joy if I wanted it. And peace if I wanted it. And generous and goodness and meekness and temperance and faith if I wanted it. But I get up every day and I make coffee for a corpse. And I get up every day and I shake the mummified remains of the law and say, Aren't you going to love me today? And it's not, it never will, it's dead. That relationship's over. You're supposed to get up every morning and say, Jesus, thank you. Jesus, you're my Savior. Jesus, you're my trusted guide and friend. Jesus, you're my all in all. Be so weird. Be so weird. I mean, listen, I, I don't know who's going first. We, we might go together. But if, if the Lord took my wife and, 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 and through the doors of death and I lost my mind and, and got married to somebody else, um, not that I lost my mind and married her, but just, I mean, nobody could ever measure up to my wife. I wouldn't. And anyway, so I'm, and every, every morning I, get that, I wake up and, and there's my, my new wife and I say, you're nothing like my first wife. She was a blessing. She was nice. Other than that dog thing, she's she's wonderful. You don't like dogs, do you? 
Now, what kind of relationship would I have with my new wife if I just kept telling her how she was good for nothing and rotten and how, how I couldn't stand her? I wish the old one was back. What a horrible relationship that would be. People come to church and all these songs about Jesus. I can't wait till church gets out so I can listen to songs about sin, songs about death. And Jesus, I don't like your songs. And, and Jesus, that man up there talking about you, I, I should be glad when he shuts up so I can get in the car and listen to somebody talk about sin and talk about death. And What kind of relationship are you going to have with Jesus? When you keep telling him how, how you don't like him and you can't stand him and you wish you'd never married him. And you wish your old partner was back. Church ain't your problem. I'm not your problem. People aren't your problem. You're not walking in newness of life. 14. For we know the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal. Sold under sin. Now, you want to see what wrecks the whole thing? Just just with your eye, just scan. I'm going to start at verse 14 and just, just follow this. I, 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 I'm at 17, starting 18. I, <laughs> me, I, 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 me, I, I, me, I, I, that's 23. Me, my. <laughs> well, let's sum it up. 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Look, if I don't think right, and I don't do right, and I don't act right, and I don't respond right, why do I want to keep eye on the throne? <laughs> you know every sin has eye right in the middle of it? If you took eye out, it'd just be snoo. <laughs> there wouldn't be any sin without I. Every sin doesn't have the devil in the middle of it. It's got I in the middle of it. 24, a wretched man that I am. Who should deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. Okay, so no matter how saved you are, no matter how long you've been saved, no matter how well you know that Bible, this flesh still wants to sin. And you have got to make up your mind, God isn't going to do it for you. You've got to make up your mind, the preacher can't do it for you. I am not going to serve the flesh. I am not going to sin. I'm going to do right. Now, whenever I say this, Whenever I say this, people in good churches like ours say, Well, I just don't think, you don't, you don't think you can live your whole life without sinning, do you? You're not asked to. You do not have to live five years at a time. You live one minute at a time, and there's not a person here who couldn't go one minute without sinning. Well, you know, you think it's really, surely you don't think in a year, I'm not, we're not asked, we're not about a year. We're talking about what you're thinking right now. We're talking about the excuse you're making right now for the area of your life you're not going to surrender to God. We're talking about right now the person you're not going to forgive, the person you're not going to reconcile with, the bill you're not going to pay, the ministry you're not going to get involved in, the surrender you're not going to make. That's all you've got to deal with. 
is that one thing right now. And you can be victorious over one thing right now. And when the next one comes up, you can do the same. And the next one comes up, you can do the same. See, people look and say, well, you know, I couldn't give up drinking for my whole life. Well, just don't take that drink. (laughs) They're not bringing one of these gasoline trucks full full of beer to your house and saying, open up and put the hose in your face. You don't have to not drink for the rest of your life. You have to not take that one. Well, I couldn't quit smoking. I smoke four packs a day. Well, you don't think you smoke them all at once. Just don't smoke the next one. I could never quit cussing. Yeah, you can. People cuss up a storm and they say, what do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, sorry. And they quit cussing. You can stop. Their friend walks up. Careful, he's a he's a reverend. <laughs> and that guy doesn't even start cussing. And as soon as you leave, they cuss about how they couldn't cuss. You know? All right, eight one. We got to hurry. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Period. Well, we've got to put a period there because that's all we want. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And since we don't understand that part, we just don't quote it. <laughs> For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. See, I'm free. So if I sin, I did it on my own. Sin didn't do it to me. The world didn't do it to me. The devil didn't do it to me. I did it on my own because I wanted to. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Now, you know what He just did? And, and I don't like this. You don't like this. Well, my, my carnal part doesn't. My spiritual part really likes it. You know what He said? There was a man who walked this earth and didn't sin. And that's the man, that's the man who saved you and took possession of you. There's a man who possesses you who walked this earth and did not sin. Now, do you want to walk with him or not? Do you want to follow him or not? Because if you want to walk with him, he can show you how he did it. That's what he just said. Verse 5, for they that are after the flesh... Do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither it can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Okay, so we had a youth rally about this. And people came to the youth rally and left unchanged. And some came to the youth rally and left better for it. What are you thinking? We spent a whole spring talking about victorious Christian living. And some people elevated their Christian life and got some more victory. And other people used the opportunity to fall flat on their face. If you're after, 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 that's what I want. Sin in the flesh. Church won't stop you. Preaching won't stop you. Salvation won't stop you. If that's what you're after, that's what you're going to end up with. And if you're after a spiritual life, 
The world can't stop you. The flesh can't stop you. The devil can't stop you. If you want it, you'll have it. Thank the Lord. Don't blame Him. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't blame the world. Don't blame the devil. He said it's entirely up to you. What are you after? What do you want? Want a good home life? You can have it. Want a good family? You can have it. Want a good marriage? You can have it. Want a good happy church fellowship? You can have it. Want to learn the Bible? Want to live for the Lord? You can have it. If you're after something else, that's what you're going to get. And it won't be the preacher's fault. And it won't be your your grandma's fault. It won't be your third cousin who was mean to you one time. It'd be be what you want. What do you want? Well, they in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9, but you're not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. Okay, so if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. And if you're saved and have the Holy Spirit, you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. And so, this is why saved people find the Christian life so difficult. Because they're in the Spirit, going that way, but their heart, their mind, they're they're after the flesh. You're tearing yourself apart. Everything God has done for you and is doing for you is taking you in the direction of Jesus Christ. But this, this nagging, longing for a relationship with death makes you reluctant to follow. Dad hates me. Mom's mean. The preacher's a fanatic. The church is so unreasonable. And you're surrounded by people who are singing and happy and glad and joyful and, and can't wait for the next time they get together. They can't all just be weird. Maybe what they've got is what they want to have. And what you got is not what you wanted. You just wanted a fire escape. You just didn't want to go to hell. Now you belong to somebody you're not really all that interested in. That'd be tough. Verse 11, But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh. I don't know this flesh a thing. Live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Home, job, family, career, finances, church life, relationships, everything. You live after the flesh, death. You live God's way, life. It's just that simple. It's what it says. I believe the Bible. We say we believe it. We need to believe it. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they're the sons of God. For you not, have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but have received, you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. For I reckon 
Here's the thinking again. That the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waited for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature is made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who is subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also should be delivered from the bondage of corruption and of the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of the body. So what's he say? This has nothing to do with sickness, arthritis, back pain, broken bones, bad economy. I'm not talking about all that. We're talking about two people sick, two people at a funeral, two people in an economic downturn, two people in... in and one of them has joy and is rejoicing and is winning people to Christ. And the other one's full of bitterness and complaining and cursing. It's not the circumstances. He's not saying any circumstance, any outward situation changes when you get saved. You change. We're saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope for what a man seeth. Why did he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. We know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Go ahead. You ready? You ready? Go ahead. I'm, I must say this, and then you can go home and argue about it and, and, and decide whether or not you think it's so or not. We are to pray about everything. We are to thank God in prayer for everything. We are to commit everything to God in prayer. You are not to ever told to pray about whether or not to do the right thing. That's, that's, that's not in, in question here. Do I take this job or that job? You don't know how to pray about that. Do I buy this car or that car? You don't know how to pray about that. Do I take this vitamin or that vitamin? You don't know how to pray about that. Should I take the chemo or should I should I drink the beet juice? You don't know how to pray about there there's But you don't have to pray about not stealing. You don't have to pray about not committing adultery. You don't have to pray about telling the truth. Those aren't matters of inquiry. Do right. Well, I just, I don't know that what's the best way to plan for my retirement. A lot of people don't. And some people thought they did, got to the end line, found out they didn't. But you know you're supposed to give to God. And you know how much you're supposed to give to God. And you know where you're not supposed to spend your money. And you know how you're not supposed... You don't have to pray about those things. Well, preacher, you know, I'm praying about whether or not God wants me to, to be a witness. Why are you praying about that? There's a lot of things. Look, what would fall under the category if we know not what to pray for as we ought? Things not written in the Bible. Darlene came in for service. Mike's mother, she just, her health problems, I mean, from, from top to bottom, if, if there's anything to be wrong with the physical body, it sounds like it's wrong with her physical body. She's saved. Now, how do you pray about that? 
There's no right or wrong on that. I have a desire to stay, and I have a desire to part and be with Christ far better. Paul didn't even know how to pray about that. Well, let's see, I could go to heaven and rejoice around the throne with the angels, or I could go to another town and get, th- get pelted with the rocks again. You know how to pray about that. But you don't have to pray about husbands love your wives, wives love your husbands, parents raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Children obey your parents, Lord, for this is right. You don't have to pray about that. Just do it. Twenty-eight. And we know that all things work together for good, period. That's another one of those halves of verses we really like. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them are the called according to His purpose. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, not to be saved. That's not anywhere in the Bible. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. Okay, so this whole process... Have you lay it out with the calling and the election, the predestination, all the rest of that? What's God's ultimate end? To glorify us and make us just like Jesus Christ. Correct? Okay. That's where you're going to end up. Right? Okay? So, every step I can make in that direction is one that's going to be going with the flow. Life righteousness, joy. And every, one, every step I take in an opposite direction is just going to be aggravation and strife and trouble because, God, that's not where we're going. We're going to Jesus. We're not going back to the dead corpse of the old life. 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Anything you need to do right, God will give it to you. You want to do right? You can do right. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather it is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? You think Jesus is praying for you to sin that grace may abound? Come on. Jesus Christ, our Savior, remember him? Risen from the dead, he goes back to heaven, sits on the right hand of the Father. Oh, Father, oh, Father, please, please. Let them fall into sin today so we can have grace. Let those dogs return to their vomit so we can go and give them some antiseptic and show them how good we are. You really think Jesus is praying for you to sin so he can come and and patch it up? Come on, what would the Lord be praying for those of us whom he has saved? then shouldn't we be living along the lines of Jesus' prayer requests? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? So I guess some pretty bad stuff happens to people that are living right and doing right. 
As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's that got to do with not sinning and all, all of that? Well... I'm going to hang on to life. I'm going to hang on to death. I'm going to hang on to this. I'm going to hang on to that. I'm going to cling to this. I'm going to cling to that. You know what the Lord says? Sooner or later, I'm going to pry your fingers off every single one of those things. And all you're going to have left is the love of God in Jesus Christ your Lord. None of those things will separate you from me, which means I'm going to have to separate you from all those things. And we deceive ourselves by bad thinking into believing that the problem is that God won't let me hold on to these things. When the real problem is I won't let go of these things and let God have control of my life. Turn loose of your lust, turn loose of your habits, turn loose of your excuses, turn loose of your bitterness, turn loose of your resentment, turn loose of your unforgiveness. Just quit clinging to things that keep bringing death. And give yourself completely to the Lord. Wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Seems like a simple choice, but we have a hard time making it, don't we? How about that? That is 87 verses in 61 minutes. We won't do that again for a while. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.